So if you go to my hometown, Libertyville, Illinois, several miles from downtown Chicago, and you go to the corners of Maple and Douglas Avenue, you will find First Presbyterian Church of Libertyville. And First Presbyterian Church is a beautiful building. It has this large brick education wing. It has a tall steeple that goes high into the sky. And, and if you go into the building and if you pass through the front doors, the white front doors, and make your way through the lobby, you'll make your way into the sanctuary. And if you look forward, you will see the chancel. And behind the chancel is this beautiful exposed pipe organ. There are all the staples of a normal Presbyterian sanctuary. There's a, a pulpit, a communion table, and of course there is a baptismal font. It was at that font in 1987 that I was baptized for the first time, and more about that in a second. Um, and, um, and I have a little hesitation saying this because it's going to make me seem really young to all of you, but in December of 1987, I was only three months old. Um, yeah. Some of you know exactly and remember vividly where you were in December of 1987. <laughs> So that first baptism, I don't remember at all. The stories, the, what I know about that baptism is from the stories that my family tells. It's from the, the pictures in the family photo album. Uh, there's a photo of my mom handing me off to the Reverend Dr. James Daugherty, or Dr. D, as we affectionately called him, handing me off to be baptized. There are, are pictures after the, the baptism, after the service. Uh, I'm flanked on either side by my two sets of grandparents and Everyone's dressed in clothes that look very stereotypical of the 1980s. Um, so that was my first baptism. Before I even knew what was going on, I was baptized. I was, love and grace were present in my life. And I say first baptism because I was baptized again. So fast forward 14 or so years after this event, and my family had long before that left the, the Presbyterian Church. I sometimes joke that people sometimes leave religion altogether. That's their way of rebelling. But I rebelled by rejoining the denomination that my family left. Um, so I was in this little non-denominational church, and the building was nowhere near as impressive as First Presbyterian's building was. It was, to this day, still one of the ugliest buildings I've ever seen and ever set foot in. Um, it was kind of built like halfway into the grounds. We called it the Hobbit Church because uh, it kind of looked like the Hobbit hole of Frodo and Bilbo Baggins. Um, although it lacked all the charm of a normal hobbit hole. So uh, I was 14. Uh, one of the big pieces of theology at this church that I spent my formative years in was that baptism was something that you made a, a conscious choice to do. And if you were baptized as an infant, it didn't count. You had to be rebaptized. didn't take. Um, so at 14 years old, I decided to be rebaptized. And one of the other staples of this church was that you couldn't be sprinkled with water. You had to be fully immersed beneath the waters. And so Behind where the stage normally was, there was no chancel. Behind where the stage normally was, there was a, a, a hole cut into the wall. And behind that wall was a, what's called a baptistry. It's just a big tub. And then you get baptized in it. So uh, at 14, I got in my swimsuit and was baptized before my entire congregation. Uh, plunged beneath the waters. The, the tub is kind of gross. It's kind of rusty. Uh, sometimes the pastor forgot to turn the heat on for the water, too. Um, luckily for me, though, the, the, the heater was on that morning, so... I was baptized a second time, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and love and grace were present again in my life. So today is what we know as Baptism of the Lord's Sunday. It's the Sunday where we remember uh, Jesus' baptism, and in remembering his baptism, we remember to our own baptisms. And what you might be remembering this morning is, in fact, a baptism that you don't remember. You were an infant. You 
uh, have no memories of that first baptism or that only baptism that you had. Um, some of you, though, depending on the tradition you grew up in, you might have made a conscious choice to be baptized. And so you're remembering vividly that experience of being probably plunged beneath the waters. Um, but no matter what you're remembering here this morning, whether it's a, a baptism of when you were a child or a, a baptism when you were adult, whether you were sprinkled with water or plunged beneath the water in a baptistry or in a lake or in a river, wherever it was, you are remembering love and grace that was proclaimed over you. And so we begin that by journeying out with Jesus into the Judean wilderness where his cousin John is, has set up a revival. And John looks every bit the part of someone who would set up a revival, right? He's dressed in camel's hair and subsists on a, on a diet of locusts and wild honey. He looks exactly like the kind of person we would imagine setting up a revival. And what Mark says is that the entire Judean countryside has come out to be baptized by John. They have come out to, to listen to the message that he preaches and to be baptized uh, by him. And in that group of people, and in that group of the entire Judean countryside, and all of Jerusalem, as Mark says, and I imagine that's somewhat of a hyperbole, and in, a, in that group of people, there is a, a divergent cast of characters, I imagine. That there are people who are longing for some good news, longing for some change. There are the poor, the sick, the downtrodden, the, the oppressed, the marginalized. There are people who are longing for something new to take place. They are longing for the repentance that John talks about. Uh, we have sort of overly spiritualized the idea of repentance, right? That repentance is simply feeling sorry for our sins. But repentance means going in a new direction. And so how many of those folks who come out to see John were ready to go in a new direction? The world as they knew it wasn't working for them. And so John was promising them something different. And then I'm sure also among that crowd of people were uh, folks like the religious and political leaders, Roman soldiers, people who benefited from society as it was, and so they've come out to hear John because they don't want too much to change. And so John is building the anticipation. He says that there is one who is coming after me who is far greater than I am. I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. He, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so these people who have gathered down at the, on the banks of the Jordan River are expecting someone amazing and great and special and wonderful. And we have the benefit of, of knowing how the story goes. We know who we're looking for, right? We know we're looking for and waiting for Jesus. And we sort of expect his arrival to be some sort of special and miraculous and amazing thing that we already have a sense of Jesus as this special person. It happens that way in the other Gospels. By the time that, that Jesus arrives at the Jordan River, we already have a sense of who Jesus is. We've just gone through the, the season of Advent and Christmas, and we've heard those amazing stories from Matthew and Luke, the, the virgin birth, the angels, the, the stable, all of those amazing things, a sense of how special Jesus is. And in John, we get that, that look back into a primordial place, that time before time began, that Jesus was with God as the word of God. Uh, he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. But Mark does something a little bit different. We have no sense of who Jesus is in this, at this point in the story when he arrives at the river to be baptized by John. 
that Mark begins his gospel by simply saying the beginning of the good news. And then when Jesus arrives, all that Mark says is that Jesus showed up in Judea coming from Galilee to be baptized by John. That's all that we know about him at this point in the story. Um, If Mark was the only gospel that we had, Jesus is just some kind of ordinary guy who shows up at this point in the story. And so I imagine him getting into line to be baptized by John. I imagine the line looks sort of like a TSA line. And um, waiting to be baptized by John. And John is preaching about this one who is greater than me, who's going to come after me. Who, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. The people are looking and waiting with great expectation. And did any of them know that Jesus was standing in line with them? something so ordinary and normal about Jesus' baptism, especially here in the Gospel of Mark. And, and finally, Jesus' turn comes, and he, is, he wades his way into the muddy waters of the Jordan River, and he is baptized by John. And as he comes up, there is this vision of the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove, and, and God says, you are my son, the beloved, and in you I am well And there is something so profound about that statement, just in and of itself. But there's also something so profound about it in the way that Mark tells the story. That Jesus is the beloved Son of God, and in him God is well pleased. Before Jesus does anything, before Jesus does anything, Jesus will do amazing things in the Gospel of Mark. He will proclaim the kingdom of God. He will heal those that Mark says has unclean spirits. He will uh, care for the poor and the disenfranchised. He will do amazing things. But before Jesus does any of that, God's love and God's grace are announced over him. Those amazing things that Jesus does, those are not what makes him acceptable to God. What makes him acceptable to God comes before all of that. And I know that we here at Greenfield, we have a a sense of of social consciousness, that we are called to go out into the world and to do things. And And I love that about Greenfield. That's why I'm here. But that's not what makes us acceptable to God. I think about it in terms of being a parent. One of the most profound things that happened to me when I became a parent is I realized the immense measure of love that I had for my son before he could ever return that love to me, before he could ever do anything to earn that love. And that is exactly what is happening here in Jesus' baptism. Love and grace is being announced over him before he does anything to make him acceptable to God. In May of 2016, my sister Sarah got married. Uh, Sarah is the, the third in the, or, in the birth order of my siblings. I'm the oldest, and then there's my sister, then there's Sarah, and then there's my brother, uh, my brother David. Um, so she got married in Indianapolis uh, because that's where she was living, and that's where her, uh, her then-fiancé was living as well. And, and so it was kind of like a, a destination wedding without all the fun of being a destination wedding. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't like there weren't like palm trees and like hurricane drinks by the by the, by the beach or anything like that. Um, so we all went down to Indianapolis for my sister's wedding. And, and weddings are this really great opportunity f- sometimes to see family that perhaps you haven't seen in a long time. Um, and that was certainly the case for my dad's side of the family. Uh, when I was growing up, we saw a lot of each other. But then, you know, we started getting married, having our own families. We started to see a lot less of each other. And so uh, my sister's wedding was a chance for us all to get together for the first time 
probably in a, in a few years at that point. And with us uh, uh, that day was my grandmother, uh, who we called Mimi. And Mimi was 94 years old at that point. And so the day after the wedding, we all got together at my cousin's house to have brunch before we all drove back home. And, and we were getting ready to, to get our food. And uh, Mimi was saying that she had been looking around the house. She still lived by herself at that point. She, she'd been frantically searching the house looking for her baptismal certificate, and she couldn't find it anywhere. And she said that uh, she hadn't been feeling well the last few days, and she was 94, and death, she felt like, was imminent. And she wanted to find her baptismal certificate, some sense of God's love and favor of her before perhaps death came to get her. And um, and so my dad at that point was a, a pastor. He had the ability to baptize and to marry people. And uh, she said to my dad, who's her youngest child, would you baptize me here in the, at my cousin's house? And my dad said, you don't, that's not necessary. You've been active in your church. You've been committed to Jesus your whole life. It's not necessary. But my, my Mimi is stubborn. My dad's side of the family is incredibly stubborn. She was insistent. She said, I want to be baptized. And so um, my dad relented. He listened to his mother, which is always a good decision. Uh, he listened to his mother, and my cousin went and got a little cup of water and brought it over to the table. And uh, my dad said to, to his mother, he said, he used her first name, said, Lois, do you uh, accept Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And my Mimi said, I already did all that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my dad, taking that as a confession of faith, um, Said, I, said, Lois, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, Sandy, if you want to bring up the photo here. Uh, when I look at that photo, uh, brings back a lot of memories. But uh, Mimi's gone now. Uh, she died last year, just short of 99. Um, I look at that photo, I, I think about the fact that what was true in that moment of her being a beloved child of God, was always true. It didn't become true at 94, but it was always, always true that she was a beloved child of God. You know, I think sometimes that we have anxiety about whether or not we are acceptable to God. And to be fair, religion, Christianity has kind of done a bad job about that. Sometimes we've kind of increased the anxiety with our constant uh, discussion about sin and how unworthy we are and all of this other stuff. But what baptism says to each of us is that long before we ever pass through the waters, and even if we never pass through the waters at any point in our lives, we are already and always the beloved children of God. All that baptism does, all that it is, is it's a sign and a seal of what is already true. That we are the beloved children of God, and in us, God is well pleased. So I don't know what you're remembering here this morning. If you're remembering a baptism that you actually don't remember because you were far too young for it, or if you're remembering a, a baptism that you made a conscious decision. But whatever you are remembering today, you are remembering love and grace that was poured out over you. You are remembering that you are a beloved child of God. And in you, God is well pleased. Thanks be to God. Amen.